Hello and welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education from Unshaw.net. In this week's episode, I'll be looking at the not-so-minor issue of the Minor Works Grant and I'll give my thoughts on what was a very busy INTO Congress filled with passionate speeches, yellow t-shirts and misunderstandings about pay talks. But before all that, here is the news that's been happening this week in education. The week's news was heavily dominated by the INTO Congress, one of the very few times in the year where the media take a mild interest in education. After the main bit of the podcast, I'll be reviewing the highs and the lows of the Congress from afar, so we'll be covering it in detail a bit later. Um, As a preview, the main bit of news was the INTO's failure, really, to get pay equality over the line before Sheila Noonan's retirement, so I'll be focusing mainly on that. One union, however, that seems to know what, it's, uh, know what it's doing and that it's better to be proactive is FORSA, which represents quite a number of SNAs. Uh, the Department of Education are going to be revolutionising, or, or some word like revolutionising, the way SCN allocations are going to be done. And then they're going to be asking SNAs or what they're going to be renamed ISAs or ISIS or I, I don't know, whatever, to start doing OT... SLT, that's occupational therapy, speech and language therapy. I, there's so much alphabet soup in this uh, little bit. Uh, I, I, don't, I, I, I feel I have to explain them. Anyway, FORSA have got in there quickly to basically say to the government, if you want this sort of stuff to be done, you've got to pay for it. And I know a union that might take a leaf from that book. RTE ran with a story about an over-reliance on technology in school. Uh, these kind of stories kind of depress me, to be honest, because they focus on the wrong thing. There's There's... There's using technology and then there's using technology well. And there's definitely a big problem. I think everyone recognises that with children using technology. But there's also a very different problem with children using technology well. And they're getting far too much of using it, but far too little of using it well. That will be my... um, thinking on it uh, the conversation actually needs to uh, needs to move towards how we're actually using technology in schools rather than whether we should be using it and the sooner we actually do that the better because um technology is here to stay i mean it's been here to stay since i started teaching 20 years ago so i think uh, we we've gonna have to stop um the focus on the wrong thing and uh, move to the focus on what we're actually going to do to make it uh, to to make it a very good pedagogical tool uh with despite its weaknesses and um, but we need to capitalise, obviously, on its strengths. Uh, speaking of technology, uh, the Voice for Teachers Facebook page had a very interesting question um, about online application forms. Now, I don't generally pick out uh, Facebook posts from uh, uh, various education uh, Facebook pages, but um, someone was not best pleased with having to fill out an online application form rather than emailing a template sort of application form, standard application form. I have to say I got a little bit of a glow in my heart when I read it because it was actually my school uh, which was the first school in the country to use online application forms for job applications Um, and I decided I'd reply to the message uh, as a result of that to give the reason and maybe a few hints for would-be job applicants. Um, I'm not going to go through my answer. You can look up the Voice for Teachers Facebook page. It's quite a long post. Uh, I mean, the main main reason uh, we did it was maybe to curtail uh, standard applications. Uh, The standard application form to to me might have been a blessing to some teachers because they didn't have to, they could send the same application to lots of different schools. But it's a curse for schools because you don't get to know the real person behind the application because of the, the, this generic 
uh, formed the villain. Um, but I thought uh, as well about uh, it might. Uh, I also gave a few hints about what I look for when I'm looking for uh, people applying for jobs in my own school. And I'm pretty sure it may be the same for a lot of principals. There's a number of teachers at the moment out there giving advice about job applications uh, for teachers at the moment, including a very popular uh, blogger, Moonshore Valerie, uh, who is about to release and publish a book on the subject of job uh, interviews and job applications. I haven't read it yet, so I'm not sure if uh, she would agree with my advice, uh, which would be um, actually to send less applications if you can. But if you are sending applications, send personalised applications to schools that you really want to work in. Don't send your generic uh, application form. Maybe choose five schools that you'd really, really like to work in. Uh, and really personalise them. No, you probably need to know those schools well, so find out about them. And then after that, send your copy and paste jobs to schools that you'd be happy enough to work in, not not, not that you dream to work in, so your non-dream schools. Anyway, the main thing to understand is that the whole process, look, it can be really unfair. And ultimately, there's really nothing you can do about it. You can bitch and gripe over um, the uh, over Facebook and, and, and education post forums and things like that. And ultimately, you know, if you don't get picked for an interview or you, or you hear the job's already gone, look, these things, it's, it'd be naive to say it doesn't happen. Some of us, including myself, always try to be as fair as possible when it comes to uh, when it comes to interviews and things like that, and always make sure that we don't, um, you know, just have jobs already gone before we, we advertise them. The thing is, you know, we've all been there. Even the principals that are doing that, we've been there. We've applied for jobs. I've I, I applied for over for almost uh, almost a hundred jobs uh, back in the day uh, in one county and didn't get one. Uh, and then that's how I ended up in Carlo actually. But uh, that's another. It is unfair. But look, keep going. All I can say is. You know, I would suggest that you pick your five top schools and give them your biggest best effort. You never know. You just never know. The Irish Independent had a tough reading article, to be honest with you. Uh, and, and, and the headline was primary school children are self-harming. However, this issue really goes much deeper than that shock headline. Children's mental health is fast becoming one of the biggest issues for teachers who have absolutely no support in trying to help these children who are exhibiting mental health problems. And this can come in many, many forms. And most notably, it isn't in self-harm, although that does happen. It's most notably in anxiety-related um, issues. Um, while teachers absolutely welcome any training um, for, for this, I'd imagine, we are not the correct solution. Teachers aren't the solution to mental health issues. Mental health services are, the, are absolutely the correct solution. That's from the HSC from Health. While we are a highly caring professional profession, sorry, it's absolutely irresponsible to expect teachers to be able to sort out children's health and mental health comes under health. We aren't expected to fix broken arms. We aren't expected to uh, fix um, physical uh, disabilities. I don't see uh, why uh, we seem to be expected to solve um, uh, mental health issues. Well, anyway, at the same, uh, especially at the same time when we're actually have a full time job teaching classes. Now, over the last decade, children with additional needs have seen supports continue to decline through tangible and those intangible cuts which we've gone through in lots of uh, podcasts uh, no, uh, most notably in the one focusing on scrapping the NCSE um, schools are being unfairly expected to be able to help children with needs that are way beyond our expertise on top of that we're expected to do so without any resourcing this is an issue that's going to have grave consequences for the future and I'm very very glad to see that second level unions are trying albeit in an awkward way to protest government inaction on special education needs the INTO really do need to put their foot down here and very much in a sensitive manner because they are doing no one any favours by doing nothing. 
The Irish Times published their Sign of the Times survey results over the weekend with a number of findings uh, around change, religion, immigration and so on. I'm a little worried about the results of the survey for the next generation of our children, the children that we're teaching. And um, schools are going to have a new hurdle of this growing I suppose I'm calling it nationalism, but I don't mean it in a good way. I mean, the, the, the bad sense of bad nationalism, you know, the, the, this, you know, giving out about losing our heritage or, you know, you know, you know this, I suppose some people call white privilege um, in, in America, this um, privilege of, you know, people are attacking our heritage. People are attacking our, you know, our way of life. And anyway, less tolerance for anything deemed to be a loss of Irish identity is what I'm trying to say. The Department of Education is already way behind in terms of promoting and understanding true inclusivity and schools, whether they like it or not, have have to follow their patrons' philosophies even if they fly in the face of inclusiveness or inclusivity. The Peter Casey presidential vote was one of the first shots fired by the growing right wing and this survey is just another shot at it. Education has a major role to play in stopping this trend and it's not in a good place right now to do so. I don't believe it's in a good place to do it. I found myself in a conversation with someone who actually agreed with the findings and uh, the internet, obviously the internet, this was an internet debate and internet debates are very difficult places to be but I was really interested to hear the thoughts of another side uh, so to speak especially one that was a teacher and um, being honest I think she spoke for a large number of people and the survey results were not uh, divisive for uh, for absolutely no reason they are they were very divisive it was 50 50 in lots of in lots of cases however given the demographic of Irish primary teachers I'd have even higher concerns for the future it comes up uh, from time to time uh, this this um, this kind of thing especially when the word inclusive is mentioned Irish primary teachers are very defensive uh, about being called not inclusive uh, and I <laughs> I do that a lot because uh, I, I would suggest that 96% of schools aren't inclusive which moves us swiftly on to the thorn in the side for people that do claim religious schools are inclusive they're not um, because this is the thing the three little letters that, uh, that prove that uh, religious schools can't be inclusive RSE relationship and sexual education 90% of schools cannot teach the full RSE curriculum because of the ethos that is a fact you are not allowed allowed to do it if you work in a, in a in a Catholic school you have to follow the bishops um, not just guidelines the rules for teaching RSE which are not inclusive according to a state report anyway RSE RSE programme is not inclusive for all those reasons there is really no defence for it there really isn't I, I can't see how it's as a defence the bishops conference has rules for primary schools that do not uh, sway from the dogma that sexual relationships can only happen in a marriage between a man and a woman and they have to involve God I know that might sound silly even to people who claim to be Catholic, but that is what Catholic people believe. Um, every Catholic teacher has to abide by this. And if they don't, they're actually going against their school's ethos. In any case, the government report is right. and how, But how are we actually going to change it? I imagine we're going to middle, muddle on and pretend it's not really happening at all. Finally, the government are apparently being sued by the very company they're suing, Western Buildings, for unpaid retention fees. To me, do you know what? Western Buildings, good enough. I'm delighted. Uh, we covered this story a few weeks ago uh, that the Department of Education were suing Western due to their shoddy building, if they're about the alleged shoddy building. Um, however, the uh, Department of Education were the, actually the ones that okayed the work, to be honest. Whenever builders go in and build a school, there's Department of Education people that are hired to make sure that that work is okay and they have to tick to say that the work is satisfactory and they had to do that for all those schools. They did it for my school, they've done it for every other school. I can't see how this didn't happen. Now, the Department of Education need to get their together in terms of awarding their contracts and their oversight as well for the jobs. Thanks as always for the comments, shares and likes from last week's podcast about school uniforms. 
Uh, this podcast can be found on iTunes, Spotify and any other podcasting app by searching for either onshaw.net or if I were the Minister for Education. I'd really appreciate you subscribing to the podcast so each new episode will be available to you immediately after its release and I'd really appreciate any reviews that you might give to it, particularly good ones, uh, because that will help other teachers to find this podcast. Um, I, interestingly, uh, last week we talked about school uniforms um, and how I my feeling is that we should scrap them. I did a short poll on the Onshot Facebook page to ascertain whether our readers actually like inter- uh, uniforms or not. Now, I wasn't really surprised to find that the results showed that three out of four of uh, teachers love uniforms. Um, so clearly my podcast just wasn't convincing enough. The Irish education system, as most of you know, is very odd in lots of ways. Take teachers' employment. In every job I know, your employer is the person or the entity that pays you. Not so in education. A teacher's employer is actually the school's board of management who don't pay the teacher. And in fact, it's the Department of Education that pays the teacher directly. Um. And that's, uh, uh, but they're not the employer. So this all comes from some mad system that we have. The Department of Education actually don't provide education to its citizens. They actually provide for it. The word for being extremely important. And this gives them no responsibility for what happens in the schools at all. And in the case of this episode, they don't have any responsibility for what happens to the schools. Yes, the Department of Education actually don't own in many of the school buildings in this country or the lands and where they're situated. In fact, they don't own anything in the buildings either. So in over 96% of cases, they're actually owned by a religious body. Yet, in a further kind of weird twist, the Department of Education funds all the repairs to these buildings, the land and everything in them, and then they fund the more minor stuff, so it kind of broken windows or things stop radiator leaks anything like that through the something called the minor works grant and that's going to be the focus of this podcast episode uh, this week now this grant has been paid to schools by the department of education since 1997 which was part of a kind of a government white paper at the time uh, for the implementation and this is i'm quoting now the implementation of smaller projects and building maintenance will be devolved to the relevant education board or school as appropriate so before all that before this minor works came along schools that needed repairs actually had to apply to directly to the department of education to get things fixed so you can imagine that was a very slow process so the minors works grant was to kind of have a little buffer for smaller jobs that needed to be done and didn't need to be applied for now at its beginning uh, just a little bit of history around it at its beginning in 1997 schools were given about two thousand pounds punts so about two and a half thousand euro of a basic grant and then nine euro per pupil to cover their school buildings and grounds Uh, this was to cover at the time this was to cover mechanical and electrical services fair enough furniture and physical education equipment fair enough floor coverings window blinds however it wasn't to be used for repairs or painting or decorating for some reason that was to come out of the uh, capitation grant but by the year 2000 the grant uh was increased uh, to £3,000, uh, roughly about €3,800, plus £10 uh, per people on roll. And then schools were allowed to use the grants for repairs and repainting, but also, weirdly enough, to buy IT equipment, which is a very strange addition because you wouldn't consider those repairs. Um, in 2006, a letter was uh, produced that guaranteed the Minor Works grant with new amounts so up until then the money was quite it was low enough to be honest with you for small little bits three three 
3,800 euro and, ten, and about 12 euro per pupil. And then in 2006, I suppose, in the, uh, in the height, I suppose, of the Celtic Tiger, it went up to 5,500 euro basic grant and 18 euro 50 per mainstream pupil and then 74 euro per special needs pupil, which... Um, was a new thing and the second guarantee the second bit of this was the grant will be paid on an annual basis thereafter that's the important part of this podcast the grant has remained exactly the same 13 years later um which is interesting what i did was i decided to see what the rate of inflation has been since 2006 and uh, to see if if we should be getting more than that and weirdly enough there is actually a calculator that does this i, I googled inflation calculators and uh, but basically despite the recession the um the minor works grant should be eight and a half percent higher than it actually is so it should have been it should have been raised at this point uh, however any worse than that for some reason in 2013 the government changed section b that bit where it says the grant will be paid on an annual basis thereafter they changed that to the grant will only be paid in future years as funding permits at this time ireland was in the height of recession and i suppose this is a way of saving some money so schools only we're going to get this minor works grant if there is enough money in the bank. Now, while the government would argue this only happened once, after the release of this circular, there was actually directly after the release of this circular, since then there's been no guarantee of the grant being paid and schools can't budget their year properly as a result. If you take an 100 pupil teacher school, sorry, an 100 pupil school, uh, the grant would, for, for them would work out at seven, roughly just under seven and a half grand. It's a sizable chunk to have spare in case the grant isn't paid for a small primary school. And this money is used. A large 16 class uh, room primary school of 480 pupils would have to spare over 14,000 euro in possible lost funding if the government felt they didn't have enough money to spare. Huge amount of money. I mean, Schools need this. Generally, anyway, the Minor Works Grant will be announced close enough to December, so well into the school year. So schools are really, you know, already kind of hoping uh, that they're going to get this money, but they don't know um, until well into the year, three months after the school year had begun. And there's, you could often, you can almost hear sighs of relief from every building um, when, when or if it, when it was announced. However, Richard Bruton seemed to take a sinister joy in very late announcement of the grant. On one occasion, it was announced just before the Christmas break. I mean, literally just before the Christmas break. Um, Minister McHugh, uh, since taking over, this is our new minister, um, has uh, the easy job of announcing the funding would happen earlier than his predecessor used to do. But that's really hardly worth any plaudits. I mean, he didn't, so what? He doesn't announce it a few days before Christmas. He announced it in September. Well, some people felt it was worth congratulating him for doing so. And that was, yes, at the INTO Congress this year. Um, and it was actually mentioned as one of the things that he'd achieved, which is a bizarre thing to congratulate someone for. Anyway, basically, if I were to sum up this episode, it would be that if I were the Minister for education i would restore the guarantee of the minor works grant every year as it was in 2006 however i also want to throw out a few other ideas as you know this is a very very short uh, podcast so i want to make some space uh, for the con- for a bit on congress but also there's no point in having a big long half an hour on something that takes five minutes but um i have a couple of other ideas for the minor works grant i actually don't see the point of having lots of different grants and I actually kind of think the minor works grant appears to me to something that could be actually absorbed into something else like the capitation grant or the ancillary grant. And this will give more flexibility to schools to spend the grant more freely. Um, and when I say absorb, I don't mean cutting the money um, in any way. Rather, the money should be increased. I'd lose the baseline because it wouldn't be necessary anymore. And I'd leave the, calc- but I, you know, so I would imagine there's going to be someone in the Department of Education having to do some calculations on this, but I'll leave that up to them. But I think it could be absorbed into the, um, 
the minor rock strand could be absorbed into something like the capitation grounds. So, I mean, that would be one idea. It's one less grant. So we get so many of these bitty bits and it's really hard to budget with them. I also actually, to be honest, I have a major problem with the government paying for repairs on buildings they don't own. I really do. I, 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 I see this as um, throwing money down, down a drain, really, to be honest. Every cent that's invested by the government is effectively gifted to the entity that owns the building or the land. And this makes no sense to me whatsoever. I, I cannot see how a private entity, no matter who they are, I don't care if they're religious or not, I do not see how it makes any sense for the government to just basically throw money at it with no return, really. And I would suggest that every cent that is invested in these buildings, basically this grant, is offset so the buildings would, over time, be then owned by the government. So the gov- ultimately the government should own the buildings and the land where the schools are. It just makes things easier. And if the people that own these buildings don't want this to happen, well, they can fund their buildings themselves. You know, let's, let's take an example of a church-owned building because that's basically what most buildings are. The government pay 100% of its upkeep in terms of repairs. Now, I'd suggest that every cent that is invested from the government on repairs to these buildings will be offset in ownership of the building. I, For example, if the government paid €80,000 to fix something major in the school building uh, that's valued at €400,000, let's say, the government would then have a 20% take, stake in ownership of that school. I mean, I think that's very reasonable. I can't understand how we uh, have a public service is, is, is owned by someone else. I mean, it should be owned by the, by the, by the, by the people um, who've vote in the government i mean the government should should physically own these buildings they should be nationalized they shouldn't be private um but um anyway i mean and if 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 the church basically didn't want that or if this church building didn't want that then the government just wouldn't fund it so they wouldn't get a minor works grant i'd also suggest if the if the government built a new school building on church land then the building would actually be 100 100% state owned i think it's only reasonable i can't understand how i mean we we, we saw thousands of people uh, marching on the streets when when um saint vincent's was uh, going to, uh, was going to be uh, the uh, is it the, i think it was the maternity um wing was going to be built on St. Vincent's and uh, there were thousands of people on the streets when it came about that the uh, that Simon Harris and the and it was going to gift it to the uh, to the to the nuns I mean what's the difference there's there is no difference you're still giving a public owned body to a to a private entity I mean as I said I don't care that it's a religious one uh, it makes no difference to me what uh, what they are they're a private body and um, I, I just I don't get it um, anyway, the Minor Works Grant is one of those more minor grants that schools receive, but without it, many schools would find it difficult to survive financially. I particularly remember 2012-2013 being a really tough year uh, for my own, for myself and my school in terms of finance. Um, more recently, I remember the stress of not knowing the grant was coming until just before the Christmas break, and it was palpable among principals. It was awful. I mean, you, you, there, were, there were actually principals really, really, really stressed about this. And with the recession well over, it should be no issue to immediately revert the circular back to the 2006 levels and guarantee funding and then maybe consider one or two of my ideas that's all i really got on the minor works grant it's a short it's a short one it gives me space really as promised uh, last week that i'd have a look back at this year's INTO congress and i'm going to do that next Every year, teachers flock to some part of the country for the INTO Congress. It's one of those times of the year when the media take a strong interest in education. And every day, there are many articles written about the various highlights and lowlights of what goes on. I must start off, actually, this week, uh, uh, before I do anything, by actually commending the media this year for their restraint this year in the use of the word whinging, <laughs> which I used to do a lot in the past. 
While not completely sympathetic to our cause, the media certainly weren't wearing their anti-teacher hats for this year's reporting and left that to the comment sections of websites where the public hustled to exaggerate the amount of holidays teachers get in response to any line of argument, whether it was pay equality for lower paid teachers or most baffling calls for the government to tackle homelessness. I, I actually think six months was the record for any commenter to say how many uh, days off we got every uh, uh, from uh, from our work. But uh, anyway, I decided to collect every article I could to f- uh, find and every tweet from the INTO Twitter page and every single tweet with the official hashtag for the Congress, which was hashtag INTO Congress 19, which basically gave me hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pages of stuff to get through. Um, I think what I'll do is I'll go, uh, I'll be like match of the day, the, the, the soccer um, highlights and give you the highlights as quickly as I possibly can and then give you my own post-match analysis as it were. I'll, I'll go through the various issues that were raised in no particular order um, and uh, uh, you know, as I said, if you've any comments yourself, I'd really, really appreciate them um, if you want to share them on our Facebook page. Uh, pay inequality was the big theme of Congress, with RTE jumping on it from the very, very first news story. Emma O'Kelly uh, interviewed as many people as she could find that basically said the same thing. Pay inequality is wrong. Obviously, there's nothing controversial in that. And this was mirrored from the very off when the president of the INTO, uh, Joe Colleen, saying, INTO will stand with our members until the blot of inequality is obliterated. The very same thing was repeated by all the gang. Basically, the same, uh, as I said, in the previous year and as you all know how that turned out with PSSA Um, however before Sheila Noonan stepped up there was a feeling there was a feeling that a big announcement was going to be made and those in the know said something big was coming I called it uh, Sheila was going to announce the pay equality was about to happen that was my call um, not uh, um, and uh, well, and um, and that was uh, and, and, and I mean, I look, I was wrong. Uh, but anyway, my call was that she was going to announce pay equality was going to happen, uh, and that had been negotiated. And then the slide went up on screen, and everyone took in a breath because we thought this big thing was going to happen. And here it was, agreed text by parties to PSSA. Here it is. On the issue of new entrance salary scales, certain unions have indicated that they have outstanding issues of concern following the agreement brokered in September 2018. That's PSSA. The management side understand that these outstanding matters will be given full consideration either by 1. Any pay review mechanism agreed by the parties or 2. In the context of the next round of pay talks. It is recognised that the positions of each of the parties concerned on these matters must be given due regard in endeavouring to reach a mutually agreed resolution. Now, if they had had time uh, to organise it, the INTO would have let off fireworks and, um, I don't know, what you call that stuff, uh, the smoke that comes out um, from liquid nitrogen smoke and lights and pumping music. I mean, this, according to the leadership, was a definite and this is a pathway to pay equality. Now, I'm not sure if you have the ability to absorb and translate the gobbledygook of that agreed text from a podcast, but the only two words that jumped out at me were give consideration. You know, that that's it. It didn't say we will. It says we'll give consideration. And anyway, later um, as well, they said the word must happen. Uh, that was actually corrected by um, the, the Minister for Public Expenditure uh, to make sure there was no misunderstanding. But the same actually didn't say must. It meant it was may. And it was corrected to say may. And, the, and as I said, it was, there was a misunderstanding that this statement didn't really actually mean anything at all. 
basically Sheila Noonan had gotten her legacy before uh, she- Sheila Noonan has not gotten her legacy before she retires and lower paid teachers have not gotten their pay equality and for some reason nothing has happened there are no directives for no cooperate for non-cooperation there's been no industrial action there's been nothing and it's eight years and counting again there are people that said they would not sleep before they would get pay equality on from that very plinth the about the previous year and here we go again and this way and we're celebrating a pathway it's nonsense anyway Parity with second level was another theme on the agenda. None of this will be new to Onshaw.net readers, but just so you know, primary principals are paid less than secondary school principals. And at primary level, postholders are much fewer than their second level counterparts per capita. In fact, all funding given to primary schools is much less than that's given to secondary schools. 93 cent per pupil per day is what we get, according to the CPSMA. Around 54% of the funding that's needed to keep a school up and running. There, are, there were several notions raised and passed about this, but I'm not sure what sort of action is actually going to happen at this rate. It was also noticeable that none of the leadership acknowledged that principals benchmarking has still not been paid in their speeches, which was a hugely lost opportunity. It's now over a decade since benchmarking was ordered uh, through by the government and we have not received it as principals and, the, and it looks like the INTO leadership aren't that interested. Workload is another theme, especially for principals, thanks to the huge work and pressure by the National Principals Forum. Over the last year, this group, which I'm very proud now to be part of, has battled to get our representatives to acknowledge and do something about the ridiculous workload that has been foisted upon principals over the last decade. Up until now, the INTO have absolutely stonewalled the group and they've even directed their members not to engage with them. I have no idea why. However, through the mechanisms of the INTO, the group have managed to bring several motions to the table through all the various um, oh, the, the, the madness of all these uh, of all these meetings. Anyway, they got a load of motions to the table and all of them passed without a single bit of scandal. Ultimately, the INTO really need to talk to this group and get something moving. The primary workload forum, which was set up, and I would hazard a guess because of the National Principles Forum, has been absolutely laughable. It's a talk shop. There's nothing more to it. And it suits the government who'll give them crumbs. Oh, we'll delay the, the primary mathematical curriculum. Oh, we won't f- enact the full um, uh, admissions act. Like, who cares? We want, or we want uh, equal, equal pay for lower paid teachers. We want benchmarking for principals. We want you to reduce our workload. If you actually listen to the special Kamasu episode of the podcast, uh, which, I, which, was, uh, 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 which was about two months ago, you'll actually see the number of ways the government are just laughing at the members of this workload forum. They're just, they're just listening to them and going, oh yeah, we'll give you that. And then 87 uh, different directives for 2009, uh, or ideas for improving education in 2019. I don't know. Apparently the minister, anyway, as well, has a habit of making big announcements at conferences, so, so I was told. I, I've never heard him speak at a conference, but apparently that's his habit. Well, this year was absolutely no different. Well, actually, no, it was different. The, the announcement was that he'd be piloting sub-panels in six counties in Ireland, creating 15 new full-time jobs. Thanks. When Congress started on Monday, this was actually the headline in all the various media, which was very worrying. Uh, thankfully, by the end of the Congress, most people were so cross about pay equality, uh, pay inequality, they might have forgotten this ridiculous arrangement, which will have little to no effect on the substitute crisis that we face. I have no idea how the minister thinks that 15 jobs is going to, uh, as a supply panel, is going to fix the substitute crisis. It's 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 amazing. And then they call it a pilot. We've, we've He's had done loads of pilots. Um, just... 
just have a supply panel that, uh, and, 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 and resource it properly. Class size got its annual parade on the plinth. It was announced as a major problem very, very quickly after everyone realised pay inequality wasn't going to be addressed. Anyway, all the gang went for a ratio of 20 to 1 and John Boyle even gave a pathway for this to happen. Uh, one, uh, per, well, one less per year. But in fairness to John Boyle, he did give a very good first speech. My takeaway from it was his promise that if Joe McHugh did not play ball, or words to that effect, insofar as the fact um, that he basically... It's the fact that he actually admit, much admitted teachers have basically rolled over and done everything for free since the recession. I mean, that's I think that's reasonably fair for him to say, um, even if he didn't say it that way. And basically that at the end of the year, he's going to list every single initiative since the recession to decide which ones we're going to stop doing. Now, look, I have no real hope that we're actually go- he's actually going to do this. Uh, last year, he said he wouldn't sleep until he achieved pay inequality, uh, or sorry, pay equality, which means he should technically be dead from sleep rep- deprivation. But I think as teachers, we should really take John up on this. I really do. And, I, and this is no offence to John. I like John a lot. I think he's a good guy. Um, I honestly think it's a really good idea that we should actually, I think John's idea is a really good one. List all the things that we, we've done over the last decade. And then stop doing them as uh, uh, f- um, uh, uh, until we get what we until we get fairness, justice, as uh, as John said. I think simply compiling this list would be no harm to show what's been added to our workload for free since the recession. And I think it would be no harm then to use all of them to negotiate better deals on the motions that were passed this year, and a lot of motions were passed. Speaking of which, there were a number of smaller motions that got into the media and the fiasco of the form completion programme, I mean, sorry, school completion programme, got highlighted. Uh, The INTO really, really have to stick a directive on about this really quickly. It's shocking that they haven't already. One nice outcome was actually the INTO became the first um, union in the public service to call for statutory leave after miscarriages, ectopic pregnancies and fertility treatment, which is only proper order. And actually, in fairness to the INTO, you've got to commend them when it comes to uh, to a lot of equality issues. Uh, and this is uh, this is one of them. I'm surprised it isn't actually already a thing everywhere, but it isn't. Uh, but so, you know, fair play uh, to the INTO uh, for putting that through. There's obviously loads of other motions, but I think that's probably enough for a podcast like this. The INTO Congress overall, I feel, was a huge disappointment for the lower paid teachers. Despite all the promises last year and the year before, there is still no further action. The best they got was a jargon-filled statement which meant absolutely nothing. The leadership, I feel, embarrassed themselves again by celebrating it as a major success and this will be Sheila Noonan's legacy, as one said. It's a definite pathway to pay equality, said another. And the reality is, ultimately, it meant nothing meant absolutely nothing that this uh, this this um pathway um i'm i'm really disappointed um really that the congress didn't deliver on pay inequality for lower pay teachers of all the things it really needed to do uh, before this year was out was to have something something a, a, a something to kind of get our lower paid teachers um equal pay it's a small amount of money um, it wouldn't it wouldn't do much and I really feel that the INTO leadership need to get this sorted before Sheila leaves her post uh, later in the year. I have to say I'm not confident of that happening. Um, I think they probably rested a lot of their um, I suppose they went in too late um, using the bank holiday the bank holiday before the uh, Congress to try and do some last minute negotiations um, with the government and all they got was a meaningless statement. Um, Look, the reality is we're still where we were before Congress 
um, there's a lot of emotions out there that have been passed. Um, I really do hope some of them are enacted. And um, I suppose it is up to us as teachers uh, to be, uh, to stand um, and uh, stand up and point out when they aren't happening. I intend to do this uh, through um, on Shaw.net and the podcast. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this uh, week's episode um, and I'm going to talk to you about what we're going to do next week. The school completion programme is a scheme mainly in Dash schools to keep children um, in school, to retain them in school and uh, hopefully eventually to complete their leaving cert. Uh, the scheme runs in roughly 420 primary schools and recently the scheme came under the direction of TUSLA. To me, Tusla are to education what nuns are to Father Jack in Father Ted. Next week, I'll be proposing that we hit reverse and schools take back the school completion programme. As always, a thank you so much for listening. Uh, please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, whatever platform you're using. And until next week, take care and we'll talk to you then. Bye bye. <laughs>